0: All right, let's go ahead and get started. So find your seat, and if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is week two of our our new Rapture Ready Reset series, and this is just a practical follow up to what we've been learning lately regarding the the timing of the rapture and and, and maybe the even very uh, soon return. Of Jesus. And, and, and this series is intended to follow up on that for uh, analyzing what it means for our lives in a very practical way today. What are some of the priorities we should have uh, in light of, of what may be happening in, in our world? And as we start this morning, I want to let you know that, that we live in a world that is messed up. I'm here to give you the real deep, unknown type of stuff um, today. We obviously know that sin has entered the world and that Satan is alive and well. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's the God of this world and he's blinded the minds of them which believe not. The world is evil. It hates God. Describe it however you want. It's all true. But what I want you to see this morning is not only the fact. I want you to see beyond that to that the fact that evil has a purpose. And that purpose is to keep you from living a meaningful life, to keep you from living a life that is ready for the rapture. You see, the evil in the world is contrary to God. It is meant to distract you and dissuade you from living your life in the context of God's purpose for you. And our enemy hates anything that brings God glory, so he counteracts it through religion, through politics, through violence, through unrest, through confusion through many things. And so ultimately there is craziness that happens in our world that that we even have to deal with because there's a spiritual battle going on for the souls of men and women just like you and me. And not only regarding our soul's destination, there's certainly that battle. But the battle doesn't stop when someone gets saved. The battle also involves our sanctification. And whether we're going to live this life in a way where we can say we're ready to be offered. And that's what this series is about. So last week we looked at at verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and asked the question, just simply, are you ready? And we gave you some tips to try to help you assess your own readiness to meet the Lord. Now today we're going to dive into the meat of that passage as it pertains to our specific responsibilities and really analyze this battle that we were just talking about. So let's look at this entire section of scripture again, just to give full context, and then we'll dive into the first phrase of verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. But unto all them also that love is appearing. Before we get into our study, let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. We're so thankful uh, for your word. And, and, and Lord, we look forward to your return. Uh, we acknowledge and recognize the craziness of the world that we live in today. And, and Lord, we, we know that, that you are the righteous judge and you will ultimately make it all right. And Lord, we do, we do look forward to that. We long for that day. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning as we as we look into this spiritual battle um, that's in front of us. And Lord, I, I pray that that we're able to see what your Word has to say with respect to, to this issue, and then line our lives up accordingly. I pray that everything is said is true to your Word. I pray that it's honoring and glorifying to you. And Lord, I pray that you use it in all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Now we studied this in entire passage, this, these all three verses, in some detail last week, and. And if you weren't here or if you weren't able to join uh, online, I I encourage you to do so because we did try to lay a foundation of of where we're going uh, in the series. And in that message last week, we really, we kind of skipped verse 7 and just told you that those were the responsibilities that we need to accept if we're going to be ready for the rapture. So this morning, we're going to begin going through them. And we're going to look at that first phrase of verse 7 where Paul said, I fought a good fight. Now, we talked about this last week, but it's, it's clear from verse six that Paul's at the end of his life, he's ready to be offered, he's he's ready to die, and, and, and as we said, he he did die shortly after the writing of that epistle. And so verse seven is kind of his own personal epitaph, and and so each one of those statements, those three statements in verse seven, are important as we analyze priorities that we should focus on in our own Personal lives, especially in these last days. And he starts by talking about fighting a fight. Now, I don't know how you describe yourself, but I would not consider myself a fighter. I'm, I'm willing to confront, I'm willing to stand for truth. I will stand for truth, but my nature is not to go looking for a fight. The only real physical fights I've ever been a part of in my life when I was growing up involved my, my older brother, and he deserved every one of them. Uh, now, there was one other occasion, and, and that one other occasion is, is where we're going to go with this illustration. Again, I'm not a fighter, but my best friend in high school was. He never shied away from a fight. He, in fact, he relished them. Um, now, he happened to be a six foot six Samoan dude, so he could hold his own. Not everybody wanted to fight him, but you'd be surprised at how many people were willing to take him on. And so he and his younger brother, who wasn't quite as tall but was a little bit bigger, listen, they, they handled their own and, and, and they took care of stuff and, and they were constantly getting in fights. I was able to stop a few when I was with them, but there was one time I wasn't able to stop it. And I was with them, and it, it kind of went down. There were five of us together, my, my, my best friend, his brother, two other guys. And there was maybe five of them. I don't even, I don't even really remember. It happened, at a, it happened at a shopping mall in the Kansas City area, a place called the Independent Center. Uh, by the way, last week I wished my mom a happy birthday and told you she'd be watching. She'll be watching this, and this is going to come as a big surprise to her. But... <laughs> It's okay, Mom, we were fine, we were fine. My kids don't know this either. This was before I was serving the Lord. I, I'm not proud of it. Um, but anyway, truth be told, it re- I, I would like to describe it in a much better way. It really, it really wasn't a fight. There was some pushing, some big talk, and then somebody said security was coming, and so we ran like, like scared little girls or something, I don't know. Um, so I, I didn't throw a punch. Nobody threw a punch, but I was getting ready to. There was a little bit of a melee, and and I heard someone coming from my left. And so, you know, in my mind, as I think back, I was ready to take the guy out. I I was turning, but as soon as I turned, I thought, man, if I have to throw a punch, I have to throw a punch. It's one of my friends, and I'm getting ready to punch my friend. And so, but before I realized it, he was just coming to grab me because apparently security was coming, and we, we, couldn't, we couldn't handle that. And so he's grabbing me to run off, and that was it. But the one lesson I learned from that incident that relates to our study this morning is that when it comes to fighting, particularly fighting a good fight, you have to know who you are fighting. You don't want to fight your own team. You don't want to fight your own people. You don't want to throw a punch and land it with with someone that's trying to help you out. That's that's the wrong fight. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, I don't, listen, we're talking about spiritual battle, we're talking about fighting, I'm not a fighter either, I don't want any part of it, I want to serve the Lord. I'd just like to do it in peace. And while I get that sentiment, because I'm not a fighter either, can I politely remind you that once you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you signed up for a battle? whether you like it or not. And there are many times in Scripture that Christians are compared to soldiers. In fact, just a couple chapters earlier in 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul told Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to fighting for the Lord, it's something to which we've been called. It's not presented as an option. 1 Timothy 6.12 says fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So if we're going to be ready to meet the Lord, we have to be willing to, to fight. There's a fight that we're involved in. Like I said a second ago, if you're going to fight a good fight, you have to know who you are fighting. And that's our first point. For study this morning, our first key to fighting a good fight is you have to understand the battle. You have to understand the battle. You see, if I had actually punched my friend, that would have been a detriment to us putting up a good fight. And what we see in Christianity today is there are believers out there, they're fighting. They're just fighting the wrong fight. And they're fighting the wrong enemy. And they're fighting amongst themselves and they're fighting others that that aren't the enemy you're supposed to be fighting. And we don't want you to do that. So let's build something here so that we can clearly understand the battle. One of the things that we talked about last week is that we have enemies without on the outside of us and we have an enemy within. We have the devil and the demonic and the world system fighting us externally And we have our flesh fighting us internally. And we find these three enemies all throughout Scripture. But let me give you one passage where we see all of them mentioned. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, wherein in time in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, so we have the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil and the demonic, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So in this passage, we see the world, we see the devil, the demonic, and and we see our flesh. And we have these three enemies that we are constantly fighting. And now obviously they work together, they work in conjunction and in coordination with each other, but they are separate, and they do have different points of attack. So the devil and the the demonic primarily uses fear, and they use the supernatural. The world primarily uses temptation and, and lust, you know, 1 John, John 2.15. The flesh primarily uses selfishness. And it's the flesh that pulls the trigger on sin. You see, the world can dance a lot of distractions and a lot of desires in front of you. The devil can scare you. But it's your flesh that decides whether to fall for those distractions, for those desires, for those fears. So so let me just say this. When you sin, it's not the devil's fault. The devil didn't make you do it. It's your fault. It's because you're walking according to the flesh. The devil cannot make you sin. The world cannot make you sin. Only you can make you sin. So that's the first building block of where we're going with this. Understanding these three enemies is the beginning of understanding the battle and exactly who it is we're fighting. Then the next building block is we've been given some commands in order to combat these enemies. So we have three primary enemies. We also have three primary commands. And 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 there are other commands, I'll I'll show you a couple of them, but there are three, they coalesce to three primary commands. So one command we've been given is to fight. That's what we have here in in, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. We see that in this passage. Another command we've been given against our enemies is to stand. So we have a, a command to fight, we have a command to stand, and then another command we have is to flee. So three primary commands, fight, stand, and flee. And I want to take these one by one to try to help you out this morning. Because we have to know when to stand, we have to know when to flee, and we have to know when to fight. Otherwise, we're not fighting a good fight. And so we're talking about, that's what we're talking about this morning. And if we're trying to fight when we're supposed to be standing, then the fight's not going to be a good one. And when we talk about standing, let's, we'll get to fighting because that's, that's, that's you know, the, the primary focus of this passage. So let's start with standing. And when we talk about standing, what we will find is that we are commanded to stand against our external enemies, against the devil and against the world. And we see this command a few places, but the main passage is the book of Ephesians again. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 13. To 10 through 13, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so, when it comes to the wiles of the devil and the darkness of this world, the Bible tells us to stand against that. And the command is to stand because they can't hurt us. If we're in Christ, they can't hurt us. Again, they can't cause us to sin. The devil will try to scare you, but when he comes, don't back up. Don't back off of what you know to be true. Just stand where you are in the power of his might. When the world will, tries to entice you, and when it comes, don't move towards it. So the devil, what, we are, what our nature is, because his main tactic is fear is we want to move away. We want to back up. No, the Bible says stand. Stand where you are in the power of his might that you find in this book. When the world comes... Our tendency is to walk towards it. We want to walk away from the devil. We want to walk towards the world because it's enticing. We like what we see. You're not supposed to do that either. You're supposed to stand in the power of his might. And, and the fact is, neither the devil nor the world has any power over you unless you give it to them. So the command against our external enemies is to stand. Now, again, you do see it a few different ways throughout Scripture. But it's the same command. For example, James 4.7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you know what resist means? It means to withstand. That, that's, that's the biblical definition of resist. 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. Do you know what love not means? It means to resist, to say no to. So the, the battle against those external foes is still the same. It's to stand. But when it comes to our flesh, our internal enemy, that is a different story. This is the fight. We already know what Paul said. We'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to flee in, in a little bit. You just got to hang on. We already know what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 4:7. But look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So do you see what Paul says his fight is against his body? That's his flesh. Moreover, when we apply the Bible study rule of first mention, we find something very interesting. The first time we see God's people fighting, it's in Exodus chapter 17. It's when Israel fought against Amalek. In Exodus chapter 17, and verse 9, it says that Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. Now, this is actually the the third time the word fight is mentioned in the Bible. It's the third time you find it. But it is the first mention of God's people doing the fighting. The first mention is Egypt saying they're going to fight against God's people. And in response, God said, I will fight for you. That's the second time mentioned. This is the third mention of the word fight. It's the first time that God's people is doing the fighting. And, And it's against Amalek. And he's an interesting character in the Bible. And not surprisingly, Amalek is a type of our flesh. And he's a type of our flesh because he's he's a descendant of Esau. We know from Hebrews 12, 16 that Esau was carnally minded. He was fleshly minded. Hebrews 12, 16 says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. The word Amalek means a people that exhausts or consumes. If that doesn't describe our flesh, I don't know what does. Later in Exodus chapter 17, we learn about Amalek. We learn more about Amalek in verse 16. It says, For he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So not only will the Lord have war with Amalek from generation to generation, so will the Lord's children. As Paul explains in Galatians 5:17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And we won't take time to go there but Paul makes this same point in Romans chapter 7 verses 13 through 21. It's this fact that we cannot get away from the flesh it is Always with us. That's why we have to fight against it. Because listen, it is warring with you, whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And in this account of Amalek, we get some insight into how the flesh fights. I told you last week, you know, there's nothing fighting a fair, or there's everything, there's nothing fair in a fight, or there's everything fair in a fight, depending on how you look at it. But this is how the flesh fights, and it's not particularly a fair one. First of all, he fights and attacks unexpectedly. You see, when we get to Exodus chapter 17, it's, it's right, you know, shortly after Israel had come through the Red Sea, and after God had provided them manna, after they had received water from the rock, there were great miracles happening and blessings from God. Now, of course, we, we looked at this. They weren't actually really recognizing them as such, and they had already started complaining and such. But they. You know they weren't in full force complaint mode yet. They they had kind of just started. But it comes after a time, in, in a sort of an unexpected time after God was was really providing for them. It was obvious that God was on their side, and that was when the flesh attacked. That was when Amalek attacked. And many times your biggest battles will come after your biggest blessings. Let I me mean, just study it in the Bible. I mean, think about Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. And he goes up against 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Jezebel. He calls down fire from God. He sees great victory. Is he able to mock him in the midst of it. It's a, it's a great story. And then the next thing you know, Elijah's running from Jezebel. He finds himself under a juniper tree and requests for himself that he might die. And right after a great spiritual va- victory... He's now asking that God would take his life. You see the same thing with Moses. After he'd come through the Red Sea, requesting that he might die. You see the same thing with Jonah. After he had seen revival in Nineveh, requesting of himself that he might die. Requesting for himself that he might die. Even Jesus, after his baptism, where God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately following that event at the end of Matthew chapter 3, how does Matthew chapter 4 begin? He's he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. So the flesh fights unexpectedly after great times of victory. Second, he fights indirectly. In Deuteronomy, when Moses is recounting the event of Exodus chapter 17, look at what he says. He says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when ye were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee. When thou wast faint and weary, that he feared and he feared not God. You see, it was a sneak attack from behind. He smote the hindmost and the feeble, those that were weak, those that were weary. He didn't attack the strong. And he won't attack you where you're strong either. He knows your weak points because he's he's in you. And that's where he he attacks. Those are what he goes after. It's an indirect, uh, indirect attack. And then third, he attacks arrogantly. Because at the end of Deuteronomy 25, 18, it says that Amalek feared not God. The flesh has no desire for God, none whatsoever. And it does not want you to have any desire for God either. Romans 8 7 says because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. So you have to know who the flesh is. Paul said that in our flesh there is no good thing. And it arrogantly goes against God. Don't Think it won't. It does not fear God in your life. And so it'll attack you on that front. It'll attack you at your weak point. It'll attack you after great blessings because it doesn't fear God in your life. You have to be the one that fears God. And when you fear God, man, then then that's your attack, that's your fight. So if you want to fight a good fight, you have to understand the battle, you have to know who you're fighting. You have to know how he fights. Then beyond that, you need to not only understand the battle. Uh, So our second key to fighting a good fight is that you need to understand the battlefield. So we we have a fight with the flesh. That's who we're to fight against. So does that mean in our body? Where exactly? I mean, do we need to follow the rules of Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30 that says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of the members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Is that what we mean regarding battling and fighting the flesh? I mean, this is what Jesus said after all, right? Well, I mean... You know as well as I do, if you know how to rightly divide the Bible, you know that Matthew 5, it's a Sermon on the Mount. It is, you know, for maybe lack of a better term, the Constitution of the Millennium. And so it's a different dispensation, meaning that those verses do not apply doctrinally today to us in the church age. So we don't have to pluck our eyes out or cut off our hand, you know, and praise the Lord. Because while our battle is against the flesh, the battlefield is not our body. And we learn this from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul very clearly says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And what he is saying there is even though we are in our flesh every day, we walk in it. That is not where we fight. It is who we fight. But it's not a physical fight. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the battlefield isn't our body. The battlefield, according to verses 5 and 6, turns out to be our mind. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, the fight is against imaginations. It is against thoughts. And it's because imaginations and thoughts turn into actions. And actions that are against the knowledge of God and are in disobedience to God are sin. And when we sin, the flesh wins. So we have to understand how all this works in order to fight a good fight. Because some people don't understand the battle. But others do understand the battle, they just don't understand the battlefield. And So what happens is, they try to fight the flesh with the flesh. And they know that their flesh is winning against them, but they, but they don't know that the only way to gain background is to renew their mind. Because the flesh tries to fight the flesh with the flesh. So what you see is people using physical moves to beat their flesh. Some call it willpower. And it's with good intentions even. And I want you to very carefully pay attention to what I'm about to say. And I want you to listen to the explanation. Because on its surface, it's going to sound a little crazy. And when I say this next sentence, you might, if you don't listen to how I explain it, you might think, I don't know about that guy. He might be a little bit off on this one. Okay, so here it is. Not committing sin in and of itself is not the ultimate victory. That may sound a little crazy, I know, but hear me out. Because not committing sin in and of itself, that is not the ultimate victory. The ultimate victory... Is not committing sin because you have a renewed mind, and you don't want to sin. That's the ultimate victory. Let me give you example. And, and I'm I'm well aware that don't get worried when I start. I'm very well aware that we have kids in here, young children, and we have kids watching online. Um, so so I'll be very careful. But a, but a relevant and good example in today's world, especially. For men is is pornography and it is a it is a real problem and it is is a big problem and and I'm sure that we get no argument about that and so you have people dealing with that sin in their life and they're trying to gain victory over it with with truly sincere motives they don't want it to have this this place in their life and they want to get victory over it but it's a struggle And so in order to try to gain victory, they'll set up for themselves a set of rules, or you might say a law. And and maybe they'll download an accountability app. And don't get me wrong, I don't have anything against accountability apps. I I promise it's okay. If you have one, it's okay, truly. But what happens is that folks will lock down their computer and they'll lock down their phones and certainly, while not sinning is always better than sinning, that's still not the way God designed it. When you are using these physical tools, which is what they are, to defeat your flesh, you're fighting your flesh with your flesh. And you do it because you don't understand the battlefield. You think it's a physical fight and it's not. And I I just have to tell you that doing it that way is not sustainable. At some point you will always fall back because the flesh will only fight against itself for so long. And if it's something that you need to do for a while because the temptation is just too strong, okay, do what you have to do. But ultimately... If you want complete and utter victory over that sin, you have to go to war in the battlefield of your mind. You have to win with a renewed mind controlled by the Spirit, not a caged mind controlled by the flesh. So that means you have to cast down imaginations. And you have to bring into captivity your sinful thoughts. You see, you have to understand that this is a spiritual conflict. And since it is a spiritual conflict, there must be a spiritual cure. If a doctor tells you that you have cancer, that's not something that you can go to Walmart and buy some ibuprofen to fix. That medicine is not going to heal that. You see, the problem and the cure have to match. You know what ibuprofen might make you do? It might make you feel better for a few days. You you might think, you know what, this is working. I had pain before, now I don't have pain. I think the ibuprofen's working. There's coming a day ibuprofen will stop working. Because the problem and the cure didn't match. They have to match. So until you fix your mind, which which we'll get to in more detail next, you won't ever solve the problems in your life. I don't care what the problem is. The place to start is your mind. So let's pick it apart a little bit more. Because what does 2 Corinthians 10.5 say? It starts by saying we need to cast down imaginations. What are Imaginations. And this is important because it's not defined exactly the way we usually think of the word. You know, we have imaginations. Imaginations in the Bible are almost universally bad. The word imagination or imaginations is used 20 times in the Bible. And you get an idea of how bad they are from its first mention. That's in Genesis 6 verse 5. If you know anything about Genesis 6, you know that it's not good. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only continu- evil continually. That's imagination. Biblically, they are evil. Proverbs 6.18 says, A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Romans 121 says because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. So let me give you a little definition. Imaginations are mental arguments used as a barrier to the way of faith. They are against God and they are evil in their nature. The center column reference in my King James Bible here, it says it, can also be tra- it could have also been translated reasonings. And I just point that out because one of the ways in which the enemy takes us captive is by consideration and thoughts that introduce doubt to our faith, things that are contrary to the word of God. And they cause us to reason back and forth things that aren't even real. So at the bottom line, you've got to change your mind to conform to biblical truth. And if you don't do that, then Satan has an area that he can build what Paul calls here a stronghold. And a stronghold means the enemy establishes a fortified position in your head that sets up camp. It's a a fortified, defended position. So, So let me make that as plain as I can. The person with a the stronghold, they may be saved, but they still have the flesh living in their mind. And again, we all deal with flesh, but, we, but when we begin to believe what it is saying, what it is telling us, stuff that goes against the Bible, like you have to do this or you can't do that, that is a stronghold. So, for example, let me give you a very simple one. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So that's true or it isn't. But in your mind you're saying, I I can't stay in this marriage, I can't stay pure in this marriage, I can't quit that sin, I can't do this, I can't do that. That's, That's contrary to what the Word of God says. So that is a stronghold. A stronghold is a mindset. It is something that holds you hostage. It is a way of thinking about the world that boxes God out. And it's setting up doubt to prevent God from working. And that happens because the flesh has made itself at home in your head. And the only way to break down those strongholds is is what Paul calls here the knowledge of God. You see, before we became a people of faith, before we were saved, Our basic internal operating system was without any godly perspective. So we did not have the judgment of God to guide us. We didn't have the mind of Christ to lead us. We didn't have the truth of God's word to help us make decisions. So the devil, through our old nature, he had installed an operating system onto the hard drive of our brain so that whenever we booted up our mind each morning, We functioned according to that old nature, according to that operating system. But when we made Jesus Christ our Lord, he cleaned the hard drive of of our brain. He cleaned out all those viruses, all the spyware that was on there. And now we have a new operating system. And our mind is no longer operating on that old platform. But here's our problem. Although our brain has a new operating system, our mind keeps downloading old programs and you barely wake up in the morning and here and 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 that you know your enemy pops up an old pop an old temptation of a pop up and the goal is to get you to run that old program the goal is to get you to respond in the flesh and that's why you have to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ That means you let God install the antivirus protection. And he installs it when you get saved. But many of us don't have the most recent update. Because we didn't keep our mind right by reading and meditating on the word. That's why it's not enough for you to only be in the word on the weekend. It's not enough for you to just come on Sunday. We need to be in the Word and praying consistently so that when the enemy flashes that pop-up, you can use your spiritual ad blocker. This is why people go back and forth between victory and sin, between overcoming and then being defeated. It's why their life is unstable. And you know who I'm talking about? And Jekyll and Hyde Christians. And they try to do right and they truly have good intentions and they will succeed for a while because the ibuprofen is hiding the pain for a while. But they can't overcome the stronghold ultimately. James 1.8 tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Listen, you have to get past that Jekyll and Hyde lifestyle because here's the thing. Our enemies don't so much mind anyone having a saved mind as long as they just keep their unsaved way of thinking. So whenever we discover that our thinking is opposite to God's word, do not let the enemy build a wall or a stronghold in your mind. Instead, tear it down. Trust what God has said. Because the moment your thinking matches God's thinking, then the stronghold is tore down. Because the flesh no longer has a space to work. And if it does not have space to work, then the mind of Christ will take over. And When the mind of Christ takes over your thinking, then you will see victory over your sin. You will see victory over the issues that come from your sin. And it's victory that is sustainable. To the point that eventually you won't even want that sin. You won't even want to do it. Because you've brought into captivity every thought. You're fighting a good fight. Because you're fighting the right battle on the right battlefield. You don't let imaginations and vain thoughts walk through your mind unchecked. You check it as soon as it enters your mind. Because you've been in the word. And so you recognize it as such. You're getting God's mind as you spend time in the word of God. So as soon as you start complaining, as soon as you get angry, as soon as whatever it is that pops in your mind, you recognize it for what it is and you check it. You bring it into captivity and you don't let it stay there. Now listen, I've counseled many people and I've heard them say, you don't understand how bad my problem is. And I'm addicted to drugs. I cannot control my anger, whatever it is. When the truth is, those things aren't even the real problem. Those are symptoms of not fighting the right fight. The problem is the root that that causes and allows you to justify that behavior. So if you really want to fix it, you have to get to the root. Just like ibuprofen can't fix cancer even if it makes you feel better for a few days. So you don't have an anger problem. You have an angry spirit based on the fact that you allow angry thoughts into your mind. Because you don't meditate on the Word of God for success, like we saw in Joshua 1.8 last week. Or you have a depressed spirit based on the fact that you dwell on depressive thinking instead of meditating on the truth and comfort of God's Word. So the answer is when those thoughts come in your mind you check them and you go to the Word of God and see what it has to say about them. This has to be your first approach. You have to just come to God and say, God listen, I have this problem and I cannot fix it myself. So like we sang about this morning, I lay myself out. Because I want to think properly. And I believe you can fix me according to your word. And then just keep at it. You know, if you're trying to knock down a wall, let's say, and you have a hammer, let's say you have a sledgehammer, and you're trying to knock down the wall, sometimes you hit it and nothing visible happens. You know, you hit that wall and and you don't even see anything. And you may hit it several times and see no visible result. But listen, each hit is weakening the wall. You may not see it, but it is working. And then all of a sudden you see a crack. And the crack tells you that hitting the wall is having an impact. Well, listen, that's the Bible. Jeremiah 23, 29 says the word of God is the same way. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? So if you are consistently going to the Word of God, you may not even see the result right away, but it is working. The Word of God always works. It never doesn't, unless you don't believe it. And if you keep obeying, you will eventually see the result. And that wall in your life will fall if you use the Word of God against it, and you use it like a hammer. So when your flesh comes at you and the battle is hard and it is exhausting and, 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 and just consuming to you and you don't feel like you can bear it anymore, stop pulling out a Kleenex and crying about what's going on. Pull out the word of God and fight back. That's obedience. That's what God wants you to do. He doesn't want you to try to fight against your issues and your own willpower. He wants you to use his power and you do that in obedience to his word. And and listen, I'm not suggesting it's always easy. I'm not even suggesting that you're able to fix your stuff overnight. I get it. There are real problems out there, and they're very difficult. Satan has done a good work, man, and our flesh is strong. And I get it that it's hard. I get it that it's difficult. I'm not trying to make light of any problems. I'm just trying to get you to see it for what it is and where it is and how to fight it. And if you want to see success, you have to know how and you have to know where to fight. And that brings us to our third key of fighting a good fight. You have to understand the battle. You have to understand the battlefield. And then third, you have to understand the battle plan. We've been beating around this bush for a little while, so, so it's time to get to it. If the battle is with the flesh and the battlefield is the mind, the battle plan involves a renewed mind through the mind of Christ. Ephesians 4 verses 22 through 24 that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3.10 and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Listen, this is this is Christianity 101 here. It's it's, it's the mind of Christ. It's the knowledge of God. Where do we get it? Of course, it's what we've been talking about. It's the Word of God. Our mind is re- renewed as we meditate therein day and night. It's what Joshua 1.8 tells us. The Bible is the mind of Christ. We have the specific revelation of God's mind to us in His Word. And as we spend time in it and let it cleanse us, we become renewed. And we were able to fight the right battle on the right battlefield. Back to our Exodus 17 story of Amalek. Let me show you how he was defeated. It says, Exodus 17, verse 13. And Joshua was discomfited or overthrew, weakened. Jo- Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And, and most Bible students know what the sword is, Ephesians 6 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So let me tell you what happens. When you spend time in the Word of God, it gives the Spirit of God something to work with. So if you're saved, you have the Spirit of God indwelling inside you. As you spend time with the Word of God, it it gives him the ammo he needs to fight. And that's the key, because this is a spiritual battle, so you have to fight with the Spirit. Remember I told you you cannot fight the flesh with the flesh. It takes the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So it takes you walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5. 6, again, this is Christianity 101. Galatians 5.16. This I say then. This, tell me how confusing the Bible is. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you have a problem with fulfilling the lust of the flesh? You have a, a solution. Walk in the Spirit. I, I, I mean, the Bible could not be any more clear. And how do you walk in the Spirit? Well, Colossians 3.16 tells us. There's a comparison verse to Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 19. So let's start there. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay, compare that to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see, the Bible defines itself. Walking in the Spirit is letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as it saturates your mind, it cleanses you. And like we talked about earlier, your desire for sin decreases and your desire to please Him increases. And letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly is not just learning for head knowledge. You don't gain victory on this front from being the smartest guy in the room. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly means it inhabits you abundantly. It's about knowing him and not knowing more. And your life reflects that fact. Your public life that we all know and your personal life that only you know. And your flesh does not have power over you. That is walking in the spirit. And so, what that means is that this fight is a walk. It's a walk forward. I told you the enemy comes where the external enemy comes where to stand, and when the world attacks us, our 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 desire, our inclination, is to walk towards it. And when the devil comes, because of fear, our our inclination is to walk backwards. Well, it's just the wrong enemy. You're supposed to do those two things. It's just the wrong enemy. Let me show you. So there's a time that we're to walk forward as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. As we fight our flesh, we, we, we see what the Word of God says, and we walk forward following it. And we just follow what it says, and we let the Holy Spirit lead us. But there's also a time that it's a walk backwards. Because there are some things you fight by leaving. And you might remember, but at the beginning of this message, so you might not remember, we talked about the three commands to combat our three enemies. And those commands were fight, stand, and flee. And we know that the fight here is against our internal enemy, the flesh. Stand is what we do in the face of our external enemies, the world and the devil. But there are times the Bible says very clearly that we are to flee. In fact, there are two things in the Bible that we're commanded to flee from. The first is in 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doth is without the body. Every every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So we're to flee fornication. The second is 1 Corinthians 10.14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. We're also told to flee some things in 1 Timothy 6.11, but those are all related to idolatry. So when it comes to fleeing, we are to flee fornication, we're to flee idolatry. From those things, we are to walk away. And I don't have time to get into all the reasons why, but suffice it to say, the consequences of those sins are different than others. The Lord takes those two things very seriously. So that means fight and flee are related. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. This coin of walking in the Spirit. One is a walk forward. You follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he's leading you forward in the fight. But the other side of the coin is a walk away. But both of them, whichever way you're going is walking in the Spirit. Because the Bible tells you there's some things to walk away from. And that's the good fight. That's the fight we've been called to. And in order to fight the good fight, you have to understand the battle. You have to know that your fight is against the flesh. You have to know how the flesh fights. And then you have to understand the battlefield. That the battle occurs in your mind. And you have to understand the battle plan, and that is through a renewed mind. It's been saturated with the word of God where it dwells in you richly. So that the Holy Spirit can lead you in a walk forward against your flesh or a walk away, depending on what you're dealing with. That's what Paul meant when he said, I fought a good fight. Now, before we finish up, there are two key takeaways that I want, I want to leave you with. I want, I want to give you some summary statements uh, for what this should mean for you practically and how to really understand and define these terms that we're going to be looking at. And first is this. Fighting a good fight should be the primary inward focus of your life. When, it's a, when we're talking about internally, what you're dealing with internally, fight, that should be the, the primary inward focus is fighting this good fight against our flesh. Because if you don't fight that fight, you're never going to get anywhere with the Lord. If you just consistently lose to your flesh over and over and over... Well, you're just stuck there. So when we talk about where we need to focus our priorities internally, fight this fight of the flesh. And we're going to look at the outward and upward focuses over the next two weeks. It lays out like that. So that's the first key takeaway. Here's the second one. Fighting a good fight. So if you could get to the end of your life and, and say like Paul, I fought a good fight. Here's what it means. Fighting a good fight means sin did not defeat you. It doesn't mean you didn't get knocked down from time to time, but you got back up. You didn't lose. You kept fighting. You kept fleeing. And therefore, you fought a good fight. The Bible says that the flesh will be with us forever. Amalek will fight with God from generation to generation. We're always going to have it. We're always going to be dealing with it. We know that we have the ultimate victory in Christ. We know that we have that ultimately. But while we're on this earth, we're in this fight till the day you die. Okay, so you're going to fight a good fight. It means that sin doesn't defeat you, and even if you get knocked down, you get back up and you keep fighting. I'm going to tell you one quick story, and that'll be done. It'll be very quick. This is this is one of the the great sporting upsets of all time. I think certainly the greatest boxing upset of all time. It was Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas was in 1990. He was a 42-to-1 underdog. The guy had no business being in the ring with Mike Tyson at that time. Um, Tyson was the guy who would beat his, if you, were, if you watched boxing back then, you know. He would beat his opponents before they even entered the ring. You know, he came in in just the black shorts and the black shoes. and I mean, he just, you know, annihilated people. And he would just punish them. But in the 10th round of that fight between Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson, I can still hear Jim Lampley say, Mike Tyson has been knocked out. I- I'm not even kidding. I-, I know where I was. I, I-, I watched the- I remember. I can hear him say it. Uh, but here's the thing about that fight. Buster Douglas had been knocked down in round eight. He, he took a-, a very powerful uppercut, which was kind of Tyson's you know, main knockout punch, and, and he went down. And- but when the ref got to nine, he got back up. And after the fight, he talked about that. He talked about being knocked down, and he said he was frustrated because he had really been winning the whole fight. And for a moment, he just let his guard down. And everything was fine, and he's in command, and then boom, he's on the canvas. (laughs) But he said he realized that, that when he was down, he still had his senses. That he could still think clearly. And that it dawned on him in that moment that Tyson had given him his best shot And he could still think straight. And then two rounds later, he won the fight. So here's the lesson I want you to learn from that. The issue really isn't even if you've messed up. We've all messed up. And fighting a good fight doesn't mean you won't get knocked down from time to time. It just means you didn't get beat. You got back up. And you kept fighting. And you ultimately will have that victory. If you will do what the Word of God says and you will just fight that good fight, don't give up. Don't let sin defeat you. Keep fighting. And maybe you have been knocked down. Well, you're here. So get back up and see what the next round brings. and Fight a good fight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, we are we're so thankful for your Word. We're so thankful for the instructions that you give us in it and, and so clearly lay out that, you know, if we walk in your spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you're just, you're, you're just so clear in those things, and Lord. And yet we have this internal enemy and it's, it's difficult and it's, it's tiring and it's consuming and it never goes away. And so, Lord, help us to stay focused on where we need to, stay renewed in our mind. Lord, when we let our guard down, we know that he'll be there. And so we just can't do it. And so help us fight that fight internally. Help us be able to say, Lord, we fought a good one. And yeah, man, I'm a little, I'm a little bloodied, I'm a little bruised, but I'm here. And I keep getting up and I keep fighting. And Lord, and, and, and just pray that in that life, that brings you glory. Um, and Lord, it is, it, is a, it is a life that is honoring to you as we honor you uh, through your word. We love you. We're so thankful for all that you do. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Why don't you stand and let's worship the Lord together in one more song? And if you if you need